Hello everyone and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode I have Dr. Meghna Dasani. Dr. Dasani is a dentist who is passionate about promoting healthy sleep through dental practices. She started her fight against sleep apnea in her dental practice after losing a family member to the disease. While many people consider snoring normal, Dr. Dasani warns her patients that sleep disorder breathing might lead to bigger problems and should not be taken lightly. As an international speaker, she strives to leave audiences with the knowledge and skills necessary to, necessary to fully understand the issue and for professionals to know how to deliver sleep apnea treatments. Meghna, thanks so much for coming on for an episode. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I get to share a topic I am so... I could I dream sleep apnea, right? So this is amazing that I get to share this with everybody. Well, hopefully that sounds like you sleep well and so you can have good, <laughs> good dreams. <laughs> so um, my first question for you then, um, I think most people know what sleep apnea is, but just for anyone in the audience who doesn't know what we're talking about, could you just give a very brief description, a uh, definition of what is sleep apnea? Absolutely. So sleep apnea is when we stop breathing multiple times throughout a night. Typically, it, it has to be those, those episodes have to be 10 seconds or longer. And this is just a cycle that our body goes into. Now, what the reason is, is we'll get into that. But the bottom line is that you're stopping breathing for 10 seconds or more throughout the night. And what this does to you is basically when these episodes happen, when you stop breathing, your heart says, there's no more oxygen coming to me. So I really don't need to beat at the rate that I need to, to get oxygen to the rest of the body. And the heart slows down. And at a certain point, the brain goes, whoa, wake up. I need oxygen. I really need this. So the heart has to speed up to get enough oxygen to the brain, to the rest of the body. And if this is happening multiple times throughout the night, well, this is a constant cycle that the heart is going through. So now we see where it tends to have effects on the rest of the body because Think about it. What really needs to happen when we're sleeping? Our body needs to rest. Our body needs to heal. But now our heart is actually working overtime. The rest of the body is working overtime to kind of get to what it needs. So that in a nutshell is what sleep apnea is, but also how it cascades the effects to the body. Mm -hmm. And I guess someone listening to this will wonder, um, why is a a dentist like yourself so passionate about this topic? Like you mentioned earlier, you know, any, anything that's personal tends to become a, it's almost like I wanted to make sure nobody else went through this because we lost my father-in-law at a really young age due to complications related to sleep apnea. And the sad thing is my husband thought this was genetics. He had almost resigned himself to the fact that this could be his fate too. And I took it upon myself to say, no, we don't have to accept this. In today's day and age, there's so much more that medicine can do. And as I dug deeper, uh, we all know, or for those that don't, the CPAP is the gold standard for treating sleep apnea. And a CPAP is a reverse vacuum, for lack of a better word. It is, and you have a mask that's attached to the machine, And that blows air into you. So bottom line is, like it or not, it's going to make sure you're breathing. It's going to make sure you're getting enough air, you're getting enough oxygen. But the sad reality is about 60 to 65% of folks that have a CPAP are unable to use it. 
They choose not to use it. They cannot tolerate it. So what do they do? They go without it. They put it in the closet. They put it under the bed. They put it in the garage. And they just continue with these episodes that they go through. And that is where I came in because I realized that as a dentist, I can make these patients a custom oral appliance, basically a custom guard that's going to fit on their upper and lower teeth. And how that works is by moving that lower jaw forward. So it's going to move that jaw forward and it's going to open up your airway. It's going to give your body the oxygen it needs. That, that's how a dentist can help. And a lot of people don't know that we can do that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also assuming as a dentist, you could educate someone that they potentially have a problem when it comes to a new patient health screening or a regular visit. And maybe I'm get, I assume it's built into your practice that you would be asking certain questions and that may raise a flag to you that this patient's got a problem that needs to be dealt with other than just why they've came in maybe for a cavity or something else that day. Correct. And there's actually signs that we notice within the mouth when we are doing the examination. And yes, a lot of people don't know that the dentist can help. And I, I've gotten those questions it's like, um, shouldn't you be sticking with fixing my teeth? Yes, we should. But people forget that the head is connected to the rest of the body. And what we can do with your mouth does have a great impact on the rest of your body. So we do notice signs and symptoms. Actually, believe it or not, Children can have sleep apnea too. And a lot of times the dentist is the first one to notice that because some of those signs and symptoms are so glaring to us that parents may be thinking, oh, this is normal. They're going to outgrow it. Like a child should not ever snore. Kids that are possibly facing a diagnosis of ADHD or even are on medications with ADHD the signs and symptoms of a child that is sleep deprived are the exact same as that of a child that has ADHD. How do you know what is what? Unless you have their sleep evaluated, unless you actually make sure they're getting not just enough hours of sleep, but also good quality of sleep. And these are things that we notice. If I am in the mouth of a child, a patient looking for cavities, for example, and I look in the back of the throat, which all of us do as dentists, we evaluate because oral cancer screening is part of what we do. And when I'm evaluating their throat, if I notice those tonsils are enlarged, well, guess what? That is an obstruction. That is causing a narrower airway for that child, for that person to breathe. And if the child, you can have children that have huge tonsils that never get sick. In which case, mom doesn't need to take them to the pediatrician, except for their annual checkups. Well, that's something, that's a year that child is going with less than adequate oxygen to their brains. They're growing, they need that oxygen. So there are so many signs and symptoms that we can catch as dentists that can actually help guide treatment for kids as well as for adults. Yeah, and no, I think that's important. I mean, when I'm, I... I did my little bit of research behind sleep apnea before this podcast, and um, I, I saw you have a passionate passion to help kids too. And that's a topic I never associate with sleep apnea. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, and I'm sure there's parents out there. And um, I find it interesting what you just brought up about how it can be difficult then to differentiate between ADHD, which 
appears to be quite common and there's so many children who are medicated for it or treated as if they're ADHD, but then it sounds like maybe there's a misdiagnosis and kids actually just have a breathing problem. So they have a sleep problem, which then makes them appear to be ADHD. That could certainly be it. And I tell parents this, that child may need medications. I am not denying the fact, but let's get their sleep evaluated. Once we know that sleep isn't the issue, maybe you, you, the other issues that need to be addressed, you go ahead and address it. But a lot of times we are so happy to prescribe. We think a pill is going to fix everything, whereas a lot of times just getting healthy, be it diet and nutrition, be it getting healthy sleep, a healthier lifestyle, all of that plays into it. Yeah. So in this case here, I guess we're, we're going to talk about kids, but also adults. And I, you just touched on the topic there, but um, most of the time it sounds like it's a mechanical obstruction. So you mentioned tonsils there or an adult who's getting heavier because they have a metabolic disorder. disorder, um, And then that's actually just the weight of the tissues of their throat, which I guess pushes back and then narrows the breathing spaces. Is that what most people actually have to deal with? when they come to um, trying to solve what's causing the sleep apnea. Right. So for adults, you're right. Obesity is one of the leading causes that contributes to that because you have all that excess weight sitting around their neck. And what happens when we go to sleep? Our muscles relax, right? Everything relaxes when you're laying on your back. The tissues, uh, muscles around the throat relax, your tongue relaxes and everything falls back. And that tends to create that physical obstruction which now that person has a very skinny, if any, airway for them to be able to breathe, as opposed to when you're like this, right? Sitting upright, talking, your body's going to fight to keep that airway open. And so, yes, I do find that metabolic disorders, patients that tend to gain weight, that is actually one of the main thing, one of the things that I will talk to patients about. Because when I think about it, it's a cycle that this patient, this person has gotten into, right? They have a metabolic disorder, they're gaining weight, they're getting the sleep, ap the obstruction, the sleep apnea is happening. What do I tell them to do? Well, you want to eat healthy, you want to work out, get a healthier lifestyle. But this person is tired all the time, because they're not getting enough sleep. Where are they going to get the energy from? And what do we find ourselves gravitating towards when we're tired? It's all the stuff we shouldn't be eating. I don't want broccoli when I'm tired, right? I want something sugary. And we have to help these patients break that cycle. And for so many patients, it starts with, let's get you healthier sleep. If you're more rested, you're more motivated to wake up a little bit earlier, go for that walk, start to run, start your day off right, eat healthier, do what needs to be done. So it definitely does connect. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I assume... Because I always think of that. So you've got someone who's really struggling. Um, they need assistance. And in this case, would you be able to combine a CPAP machine with the oral device that you're talking about? So, or can you not use the two together? Or, uh, no, you I'm can. Just, yeah. You can. You absolutely can. Um, for folks that have mild to moderate sleep apnea, um, the oral appliance, there are enough studies that show that they do work as well as having a CPAP. So for example, folks that travel a lot or are just incompliant with having the mask on their face, the appliance is going to work amazingly well. But for folks that are 
in the severe category, a lot of times they do need the combination because when they're severely apneic, many times I find the setting on their CPAP as to how hard that air has to blow to open the airway is rather high. Think about it. It's like hanging out the window of a car with the air blowing. There's no way you can catch a breath. In which case, if we can help them with the appliance, uh, it's been shown that we can have them work with the MDs to get their CPAP settings down to a lower level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I always think, yeah, when, as you mentioned, when you're so low energy, how do you even begin? And right. I, I, to me, it sounds logical that I can have a device that helps me get enough energy, get the sleep, and then it becomes a compound positive effect that eventually, I don't know, would someone forever and more need to wear the device once you've got sleep apnea, you've got sleep apnea forever? Or is it something you can actually train your body to get out of and then you become once you become healthier, the sleep apnea disappears? Typically, what I tend to find in adults is if we get them either the CPAP or the appliance and lifestyle changes happen, I truly haven't seen somebody get off of treatment completely, any assistance completely. Um, things do get better. They're, the settings that they're at do tend to get better, which is why treating patients that are children is so much important. With kids, we use their growth spurts. We actually can grow their airway. So what I've just done is I have taken a child that is growing, directed their growth of their face and their jaw and the tissues around there to where they now have a wider airway. Guess what? I don't have to treat them or fix them as adults. So if we can impact that, get, get parents to understand, yes, kids can have sleep apnea too, Kids can struggle with breathing too. And unfortunately, not all kids present with the same symptoms. So having those conversations, I don't have to worry about fixing them as adults. So this has got me thinking too, where kids, um, I don't know if you know Weston A. Price, the dentist who with, and he's, you know, his observations then was you know, the difference in uh, how teeth develop. And it's just what you were just saying there about how you've got an opportunity with children. Does this even show why parents will can take their child to the dentist and they get braces to actually open up their mouth to get better teeth occlusion, but that actually has a compound effect of better breathing? Correct. So um, I, I've read a lot of what Dr. Price has written. And one of the key things that we do talk about is breastfeeding, right? Nursing and children, because getting the tongue to where it belongs is, is what we want. The tongue does not belong in the roof of the mouth. Uh, it does not belong in the floor of the mouth. It belongs in the roof of the mouth. The tongue is one of the strongest muscles we have in the body. It acts as a natural expander for the palate. It also acts as a natural retainer. Think about this. The roof of your mouth is also the floor of your nose, right? When I have this, that is so constricted because either the tongue isn't able to sit there or you have a child that is bottle fed or uses a pacifier or sucks their thumb. Well, that's, that gets constricted that automatically narrows their upper airway. When you have a child starting from infancy that is able to nurse, that's able to breastfeed, you have to have specific 
tongue mechanisms for a child to be able to breastfeed successfully. Who is able to observe this? If the tongue is resting where it needs to or not, either a lactation consultant that the mom may be working with, pediatricians maybe, but your dentist can too. And a lot of kids, babies that are not able to nurse have their tongues tied to the floor of their mouth. The little tissue that attaches it is super tight in some kids, well, some adults too, in which case breastfeeding isn't, doesn't happen. And same thing following on Dr. Price's um, theory about feeding kids. When we give a child food out of a pouch, which are so much, so popular nowadays, right? Well, you just, you're just giving them pureed food in a little tube that they're sucking down. What did that just do? Instead of training the kids to actually chew real foods, actually develop those muscles of the jaw, develop the jaws the way they need to, have the tongue do what it needs to do. So all of that does tie in for sure. And a part of the dental checkup, do you consider the sinuses? I'm just thinking here, um, so many people have sinus issues and does that then also lead to sleep apnea issues? Sinuses, again, we have to, all of this ties into how this, the orofacial complex developed is and I keep going back to the palate, but think about it. Is the palate narrow, which means is the nasal cavity narrow, which means are the sinuses not in the position they need to be? Guess what else is connected? Your eustachian tubes, the ear canals. So guess what we tend to see in babies that have all of this? Frequent ear infections. So all of this actually does tie in. In adults, how this is going to present with is frequent headaches. For a person that wakes up with headaches all the time, has constant neck pain, has constant upper back pain, shoulder pain, this is all connected because your body's compensating to make sure it's able to breathe the way it needs to. Hmm. And um, the one question I didn't get to ask you right in the beginning, but you, you brought it up, was snoring. So is snoring abnormal or is it normal? Or, does, or do you get... <laughs> a bit of both, that you get normal snoring and then you get abnormal snoring? Snoring is the first sign that something is wrong with a person's sleep, with a person's breathing, or what I call sleep disordered breathing. That is usually the first sign. Snoring, when we are snoring, there's either excessive tissue in the back of the throat. We talked about that. That is contributing to a narrowing of the airway. Or some people just have naturally narrower airways because of how things have developed. And you're trying to pass or inhale that air because, say, I have a stuffy nose. You're trying to get that oxygen through a tube that is long and narrow and now has obstructions in it. That is what makes that noise. It's the vibration of all of that tissue there that's in the way. So snoring, is it normal? Nope. Because guess what snoring does? Not only is it depriving me, if I'm the patient that's snoring, not only is it depriving me of enough oxygen, enough quality sleep, guess who else is being deprived? My bed partner. Because they're staying away too. It's, it's disrupting their sleep. So now there's two people that aren't getting quality sleep. Okay. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of bed partners out there who <laughs> completely <laughs> agree with you. And you have someone who's rattling the walls with their snoring. 
mm. yeah, and how how disturbing that is. But to me, that's interesting because some people just oh, I'm just a loud snorer. But then in your case, you may say uh, maybe you're actually a sleep apnea person. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you'd re- you'd reword it. It's like don't consider snoring just a, a normal um, thing that that happens. Correct. Unless we have, unless we get a sleep test, unless we know that there is no oxygen or no apnea issues, no oxygen levels dropping, I'm going to assume there is something wrong because I, I don't want to be the other way where I say, oh, you're just a snorer. And then you find out that, oh my gosh, you're not getting enough oxygen. So you always want to make sure you're getting tested, getting evaluated. And then if you're just a snorer, we'll address it then. But the chances are it's more than just that. So with this podcast, you have people who like to do self-experimentation and testing. And I'm just wondering, can someone even do a simple test themselves where they just place one of those um, meters on their fingers to check their oxygen levels and they sleep with that and somehow that, that connects to their phone? Is, is that a simple test that someone could also do to see that actually overnight your, your saturation levels, your ox- oxygen sets dropped below a level that was um, acceptable? That is one way to actually see if there is an issue going on. Is, is that going to give us a diagnosis? Not at all. I have patients that bring me their, um, what is it, the fitness watches, the Fitbit or one of those others and say, this, this showed me I was waking up or moving so much or didn't get enough quality sleep. That's a great tool to get started for sure. But will it give us a diagnosis? No, you want to make sure you're seeing your doctor for that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, with a lot of um, wearable health gadgets now, it's it's uh, just one data point that could point you in a direction. But it sounds like from, from a gold standard point of view, uh, there's other ways to actually com- definitively de- diagnose you as having sleep. Correct. Correct. Yes. You want to make sure you get that sleep study because that's the only thing that's actually going to show you what episodes you had, had how many episodes you had, how long they lasted. Because when we say 10 seconds or more, was it 10 seconds? I've seen somebody go close to a minute and a half without breathing. That is scary. So you want to make sure you know what is going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I can just imagine trying to hold your breath for that long when you're underwater, like how right. hard that is. <laughs> right. So um, when we're talking about this too, uh, what I learned was there's different types of sleep apnea. Could you just explain to people then the, the different types? For sure. So the two main types is obstructive sleep apnea, which is what we just talked about. It's caused by the obstruction. Um, and this is actually one where the appliances can help. This is one where your dentist can help. You can get the mouth guard. And if you are not able to use the CPAP. The other type is central sleep apnea, and this is just a lack of response from the respiratory center in the brain. This is one where you want to make sure you're seeing a neurologist or a sleep MD, or um, that's where you need the CPAP, basically, because your brain isn't waking you up. Remember, in obstructive, your brain goes, hey, I'm not getting enough oxygen, wake up, start breathing or do this so I can get more air. In central, that does not happen. So those folks do need a CPAP. Typically, for people with predominantly central sleep apnea, we see that in patients that have severe neurological conditions. So for somebody that's you know on the street, you and I, that's walking, talking, living seemingly normal lifestyles, right? 
um, we wouldn't have predominantly central sleep apneas. We would have, if so, we'd have mainly obstructive apneas and maybe a few centrals. But um, so that's that's basically the main dist- distinction there. And in this case, too, when we were talking about metabolic disorders, most people think of people, what we were talking about getting bigger and heavier. But can you have a thin person who has sleep apnea? Absolutely. So there, you know, the classic um, person that we think of having sleep apnea is your adult overweight male. It's fat uncle Joe, right? That we think is going to have sleep apnea because falls asleep on the chair, snores all the time. But we just discussed how children can have it too. But there is a a whole sub... um, group of people actually it's the slender fit person typically it's females that fall into it now does that mean males or teenagers won't no it's a condition called as upper airway resistance syndrome so to answer you can a slender person have sleep apnea absolutely i see it all day long every day but typically more so what i see in this group of people is upper airway resistance syndrome they present with most of those signs of sleep apnea. They are active, but they're tired all the time. They they don't have that excess weight around their neck, right? They don't present with the classic, you look at you and you have sleep apnea. No, they don't present that way. But these are the patients that have TMJ issues. As a dentist, that is something I'm going to see. These are the people that present with joint issues. They are constantly tired a lot of times, they can be misdiagnosed with chronic fatigue, with fibromyalgia, because all of these symptoms kind of tend to fit in together for these patients. So same thing, like I said, with the children with ADHD, so important, get your sleep evaluated. When you're facing conditions like this, always ask, am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting enough quality sleep? Am I waking up refreshed? Am I waking up ready to take on the world? Or are you hitting that snooze button 30 times trying to get just five more minutes, right? You know, you're de- sleep deprived then. Mm-hmm. So I'm most interested then, so we, when it comes to solutions, we talked about the oral device that helps to pull your jaw forward. And it sounds like everyone who's got obstructive sleep apnea can use that device. Um, then you, if needs be, you can go into the, the CPAP machine, which will, I like, I like how you said a reverse vacuum, just blow air at you. Um, <laughs> and, um, but another thing that I've come across a lot is, um, avoiding mouth breathing by taping your mouth so that you breathe through mm-hmm. your nose. If someone has a mild form, so I'm just thinking, what's got me thinking here is what we're talking about with a slender person who doesn't have the heavy throat and they would they benefit then just from taping their mouth and trying to breathe through their nose? And could that maybe give them a better sleep and avoid the upper airway obstruction? Um, that is a adjunct that can be used, but a word of caution with mouth taping, and it, it works well, but we have to make sure that that person can breathe through their nose. Because if you have some form of nasal obstruction or you aren't able to, you don't have the right kind of laminar flow, as we say, for air to go into your nose and you would be able to breathe right. Why well, just taped up your mouth? And that does tend to be super 
well, you actually just deprive yourself more, right? You're not getting enough air. So working with an ENT or making sure you're working to get your nose open, establish nasal breathing first is what I say before you try mouth taping. Mouth taping works amazingly well. Yes. And I talk to my patients about it too. But just that word of caution is make sure you can breathe through your nose right. And for those that do want to consider mouth taping, I tell them start with a few minutes during the day. Tape your mouth and while you are awake and start with maybe 10 minutes. Can I go through 10 minutes without feeling like I got to rip it off? I can't breathe right. And if you can, then slowly extend that amount of time before you actually consider taping your mouth and falling asleep. So you got to take it in baby steps. Does it work? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just thinking again, as progressions, it sounds like if it's very mild, you know, this is sort of like the home treatment you can, you can try with. But as your condition gets more severe, the, what we've just talked about is the other treatments that you'd have to consider doing. Correct. Um, what have you noticed then um, being in, around so many sleep apnea patients? I'm, I'm interested when it comes to the CPAP machine. So, so I have a family member who has had to use one and I think they still use it at times. But same problem. It gets so irritating with the mask around their face. It gets so dry. It, it embeds into their face. It gets irritating. Have the machines themselves changed much over time or not really? They have. There's um, different um, ways that the machine works. They have now what are known as BiPAPs. They also have AutoPAPs. A lot of these machines can now actually sense when you're stopping breathing and when it doesn't notice when it does notice that you're not breathing it'll start to blow air into you um, it can actually even adjust the pressure for you as your breathing rate changes so yes there are definitely improvements being made every single day and I tell everybody this if you have a patient or if you are a patient that has a CPAP you are able to use it you love it you use it every day don't change. That is the gold standard. But the sad reality is most people aren't able to use it. And like you pointed out, you know, the straps are too tight. It's on, over the face. Uh, sometimes hard to travel with too, especially if you're one that has to travel for work or vacations. Um, there's so many factors that go into it. the noise bothers a lot of people. Um, then the whole romance factor. Let's not go into that, right? So it, <laughs> there's things with it, but it is certainly a great option. Yeah. And that's why I think speaking with you today, I, I didn't realize there was a device that, you know, someone who has sleep apnea could also physically pull their jaw forward. Yes. So with that, is it something um, I'm trying to envision it? Is it an, uh, it's a brace that goes on to my top teeth and my bottom teeth to, to physically help gently draw my lower jaw forward just a couple of millimeters? Correct. So that is where the dentist comes in because we have to evaluate the condition of your joint. We want to make sure we're not straining the joint, but yes, it's an upper piece and then a lower piece. And then based on the different designs, the different companies that do manufacture these, how it moves that jaw forward is a little different for each of those. But the basic premise is that it holds that lower jaw forward, gently being the key word. You don't want to yank it forward because then you wake up with pain in the morning. And it leaves it there because now what it's doing is it's holding it there. It's also moving your tongue out of the way. So when we fall asleep, it's going to prevent that jaw from falling back. It's going to prevent the tongue from falling back. Now you have a patent airway. You have an open airway throughout the night. So you're actually able to breathe while you're asleep. 
And uh, a, a type of patient base that could be more difficult is the elderly who have had their teeth removed and maybe are even at a denture stage or that. Do, so do you need molars? So do you need teeth at the back of your mouth for this device to work? Or can even just having teeth in the front of your mouth be okay and it's sufficient? So there's a lot of conditions. There's a lot of um, clinical um, issues that we have to consider before we can um, say how many teeth are needed. Typically, if a person does not have any upper teeth, we can still make them an appliance. They do need to have lower teeth though. How many is going to depend on how strong those teeth are in the bone, right? We have to see the condition, the health of the gums and the bone that are supporting those teeth. So for somebody that has healthy bone and gums, they could get away with fewer teeth than somebody that has advanced gum disease or has teeth that aren't quite stable, in which case they're probably going to need more teeth to support it. They're going to need that gum disease addressed. So there's different conditions, but if you have no upper teeth, we can still make you an appliance as long as you have lower teeth. Yeah, I always like to think of the spectrum. So that, thank you for answering yes. that. So I'm sure that will help some of the listeners out there who maybe do have an issue with that. So. Um, I've learned a ton about sleep apnea. Thank you so much. I think you've covered a lot of good points there from how to be aware of it, you know, the risks that come with it, um, and then all the treatment options that come from that. If anyone wants to maybe find out more about you or this, or, um, even this device that you've been talking about, um, what are some res resources that you'd like to recommend for people? Um, my website has a ton of information. It's magnadasani.com. Um, and we have resources on there too that can guide you into actually learning more. Where should I go to learn more? So that would be a great resource. Um, typically, the, um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has good research articles, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine. So those are the places I would start with. Okay. And you practice in Houston, Texas, do you? Correct. Okay, so any listeners in Houston, if they want um, to maybe come see you, that, that's an option for them too. Yes, we are happy to help. Okay, fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing that information today. I really did uh, enjoy that and, and learned even more about sleep apnea that I never knew. So I just want to say, um, again, thank you for coming on for an episode. For thank today. you for having me. Yes, it was fun chatting with you. Mm -hmm.